this neighborhood in a w much greater way than that 20% affordable is. This neighborhood's rents are going to essentially skyrocket. If this lot goes down, you're going to see the lots across the street go down. Uh, the other corner, you're going to see more and more of these developments because the developers are going to be attracted to this area and know that they can pretty much get away with anything they want. Construction at Belmont has temporarily stopped until Meta Housing obtains the proper permits to demolish it. In the meanwhile, some neighbors are still organizing to stop the project, while many graffiti writers, Pelota Tarasca players, and train buffs are already mourning the loss of public space in L.A. Reporting from KPFK, I'm Aura Bogado for Free Speech Radio News. This is Free Speech Radio News. I'm Deepa Fernandez. This is KPFA Local Election Supervisor Brian Johns. We know most voters in the KPFA listening area, unlike at other Pacifica stations, have not yet received their ballots. Rest assured, we've investigated this delay. Since Friday, November 12th, replacement ballots have been sent out within 24 hours of each request. Please do not make second or third requests because this prevents other listeners from reaching us at 1-877-217-6928, extension 205. To further address this problem, we are extending our voting deadline to Saturday, December 4th. We encourage you to send your ballot to the post office box listed on the return envelope by Wednesday, December 1st. Meanwhile, we'll be accepting hand-delivered ballots at the station on that same Saturday, December 4th, between 11 a.m. and 7 p.m. We sincerely apologize for this problem and pledge to do everything we can to provide eligible members with an opportunity to vote in this important election. For more information, call 510-848-6767, extension 626, or log on to election.kpfa.org. Thank you. You're listening to KPFA, KPFB in Berkeley, and KFCF in Fresno. Stand by for Stone's Throw with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy, it's a rule I learned in school, get your money every Friday. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw, and first... Bertolt Brecht and the Three Penny Opera. How I love that opera. Listen, first of all, I want to give you some good news. There was a request for sunshine on uh, Larry Bensky's show recently, so I've been looking around for sunshine. How's this? After more than 700 hours of debate in the British Parliament, the English have resolved to outlaw hunting with animals. How do you like that one? <laughs> Never mind. You know, not hunting with guns, yes. No more fox hunts, folks. Reminds me of, uh, I think it was Oscar Wilde's description of this elitist pastime, you know, uh, running to the hounds. He called it, quote, 
the unspeakable in mad pursuit of the inedible. Ah, yes. If mankind only killed what it could eat, wars would end tomorrow, tonight. We could outlaw hunting uh, of all kinds with guns. Well, we could, let's see, uh, I, I noticed that uh, hunting humans resulted in the death of uh, six hunters this week. Uh, what about what about putting up a wall, folks, between the basketball players and their fans, you know, instead of in the Middle East? I think we need a wall there. Uh, <laughs> Personally, I only go to ball games where the players are uh, youngsters, local. Um, I go to games where there's some respect, you know, uh, where the high school sports team is playing uh Support amateur sports, you know. Get back to basics. Oh, man, this Thursday we are celebrating Indigenous Peoples Day. That's pretty basic. Um, some folks still call it Thanksgiving. Uh, thanks for living. That's what I do. I do give thanks for living. Hillary Clinton used to say she was into this religion of gratitude. She was grateful uh, bad as things were in the White House, she said, there were fresh flowers every day. Yes. <laughs> uh, my mother used to say, count your blessings. Sit down and hush up and count your blessings. Let's not have any more moaning about the election. Bill Clinton said, uh, stop sitting around whining. No more whining. There's no whining in politics. No crying in baseball, no whining in politics. Just rewire, gird your loins, and get ready to wrestle for the soul of our country. Prepare for a new day. Ah, a time to struggle. New myths for old, I like to say, buddy, can you paradigm. New growth to replace this moral deadwood that Karl Rove and Rex Reed and the neocons use. You know, they bludgeon the minds and hearts of the lonely, frightened masses. Oh, what a tangled web is wove by Karl Rove, my new mantra. I like the word struggle. Uh, I've heard some complaints from certain New Age types. They don't like the word because they say it causes them pain. Stress, you know, stress. No pain, no gain. Actually, I don't hear struggle. I don't hear it that way. For years, I remember we signed our letters with the words in struggle. Uh, some people refer to the struggle. I think it meant uh, a community of activists willing to work one day at a time, you know, one page at a time, one way at a time, whether it's street protest or culture clashes. It's all part of the mission, yes. Where there is no vision, the people perish. It's all part of our work for social justice. For economic democracy. That's the word that uh, Jane Fonda used to tell us. She said, don't say socialism, say economic democracy. Whatever works, darling. Whether it's share the wealth or holistic health. All this stuff begins in the mind and has a lot to do with language. Uh, this 
new age I dream of, the age of better men and wiser women, begins with our thought patterns, with our ways of seeing, uh, with ideas. Ideas struggle. Uh, they break through here and there, now and then, and liberate us from old patterns. Uh, you know, the worn-out thoughts and feelings that hold us in a box. Uh, especially, you know, these thoughts and feelings about our worth in the world. It's one that's always bothered me. Uh, you know, humility is one thing, but... Uh, Self-deprecation can only go so far. I think the wickedest thing in today's society, the wickedest thing is the way we punish uh, poverty or uh, paucity. What is it? Uh, our, our self-worth is based on what we have, not on what we are. You know, the sort of thing they do to, to children. I remember when I was teaching, there were different colored tickets, you know, for the lunches for the children who were on assistance, and I, I lobbied to get rid of those uh, tickets. Uh, what an awful thing to do to a child. This last election, I think, is just more proof that masses of Americans prefer a fantasy of becoming rich, of being one of the uh, thieves, you know. Uh, uh, they prefer that to the reality of facing our shared fate in an economy that's crushing so many people. You know, they can't get off the ground. Uh, it humiliates us. Human beings uh, seem to feel sometimes that their only value is their worth in the job market. I think these days having a job is almost more important than citizenship. It's, you know, it's what is it, unless you're a citizen of the corporation. The curse, of course, is materialism. Same old, same old, deja vu all over again. But it seems like it's worse than ever. It's so curious because, of course, <laughs> in the West here, we're richer than we've ever been before in human history. Strange contradiction. Our privation uh, is more psychological, um, psychic depression than economic. Yes, it's not... Well, the very, very poor populations around the globe seem to me so much happier, at least more joyful, more capable of pleasure than many of us here in the West, we North Americans. For us, it's our mindset, our thought patterns, you know, what Diane de Prima talks about. She calls it the war on the imagination, the limiting uh, of our scope, you know, we just say to ourselves that we don't have enough and we need more stuff and more success and, you know, we have to compete. Um, once upon a time, way back in the 20th century, oh, mid-20th century was when I went to school, we had something called a liberal education. A liberal education was supposed to teach you how to live. You were to learn not just how to make a living, you know, but how to make life lovely. Uh, what is it Helen Caldecott said? She said, uh, We have come to the end of living and the beginning of surviving. Mm, that's pretty grim, a grim, grim thought. 
I don't think it's true. I think that there are masses of people who still know how to live. And if a liberal education taught us how to be creative, then I guess a conservative education, yes, that's the one that teaches us how to be commercial, how to get ahead. Yes, this degree equals that much money in the bank. Um, we've become consumers, not citizens. It's all about the buying and selling. Once upon a time, I had a boss in an office for a year or two. He used to say to me, oh, it's all about the money, honey. <laughs> that is the reason, I guess. I guess that is the reason. Economic determinism. I guess that's why the world is full of thieves and thugs. Yes. And pirates and brigands and the mafia and crony capitalists and corporate crooks and cabals of criminals that we call our ruling class, our governments. What is it Gertrude Stein said? She said, everyone is governed by someone. Except, of course, Gertrude, yes. I don't know, uh... I just don't understand um, uh, the, what is it, uh, the rulers, the, the folks who have us conditioned, the exploiters, let's call them. They do seem to be winning the propaganda war just at the moment. I see them as hypocrites who claim to have what they call moral values or family values, which is a strange expression. Uh, <laughs> I... I was taught that morality is the desire to lessen suffering, not to impose suffering on others, not to punish or imprison other human beings. If you take each act and say, does this make life on earth more pleasurable, pleasanter, easier, you see, then it is a moral uh, issue. Uh, if it hurts people, then it's immoral. Now, if progressives are going to make changes, we've got to grasp the nettle. And we've got to start doing and acting uh, all about real morality, yes, real moral values. And we've got to redefine them first. Uh, you've got to denounce this Philistine god Moloch. That's the god of money and materialism. We've got to redefine wealth. What does it mean to have wealth? It means human community. It means, uh, oh, clean air, clean water, you know, healthy children, healthy land, all that uh, uh, ecological stuff, yeah. The whole utopian package. Rich folks aren't stupid. Uh, they must know that if they live in the bubble, they are only buying time. Their children cannot thrive in a world where private affluence is surrounded by public squalor. You know, <laughs> if nothing else, the kids will be kidnapped. That's what's happening all over the world. What's left of the left must wave its pale blue flag and raise that flag, you know, even when the winds are wild with war, uh, with violence. For those of us who tried to fight the, the culture wars, so-called, uh, the socio-political uh, wars, the effort may seem frail at times, 
But we do change the world, yes. Even when we don't win, we have to keep working. Uh, now, Michael Moore's movie, for example, did make a difference. His movie, um, you know, Fahrenheit 9-11, and that deluge of documentaries that came down. Uh, they did change the minds of millions of people. Here in the 21st century, the movies are our number one art form. Film, images, music, all this molds the hearts and minds of the young. The language is important, but the language to be literate in images is also important. Uh, Gore Vidal tells us that the young are learning history and ethics and damn near everything from the movies. Uh, even Orson Welles used to talk about film as the educational medium of all time. That, of course, would include the little screen, you know, the little blue stone in the living room. If aesthetics is the mother of ethics, that is, if we do learn from these um, these films, then some people might say that Hollywood is the parent of our age. <laughs> at least the neocons, you know, put Hollywood at the top of their enemies list. Now, I never thought Hollywood was exactly liberal. Um, it's a yes and a no. I myself spent decades writing film reviews about shallow screenplays, you know, um, tacky uh, trash and trauma films. I griped about Hollywood's commercialism, but even in the worst of times, show business, most show business, does give us a glimmer of secular humanism. You know, in the arts, the human heart uh, comes through, but of course it comes through mostly in the work of independent filmmakers, you know, the creative idealists. For example, if I were in charge, if I were the boss, I would make every congressperson, every judge or anyone, anyone who wants to outlaw abortion, I'd make them watch Mike Lee's new movie, um, it's a British film, called Vera Drake. It's about the best ever depiction of what happens when abortion is illegal, uh, Vera Drake is a woman in 1950s London, a working class mom who cleans houses for the rich. She uh, helps women who need to terminate their pregnancies. Abortion was illegal in England till 1967. Anyway, when she's arrested, she doesn't fight back the way a um, woman would today or might today. Uh, but this is a portrait of a kind of secular saint. And it brought back to me memories, um, vivid, heartbreaking memories of wonderful, wonderful, strong women who made my life possible. Way back then, we had a kind of underground. Um, Goddess bless those women. Anyway, um, women still keep the world turning from Afghanistan to Zaire, and their suffering demands our attention. Their children cry out to us, uh, of course, what is most noble about such people is their joy in living, their capacity, you know, to get on with things, even under male domination, even when their lives are wretched. I have a footnote uh, in my notes here that says, uh, check out the suicide rate for women in the People's Republic of China and prepare to be shocked. Anyway, I made a list of other films, I had a couple dozen, let me just mention three. 
movies that might contribute to the liberal education of the young. I've been thinking that over the holidays, everybody goes to the movies. So check out Kinsey and Ray, the one about Ray Charles. Not a bad um, biopic, all things considered. Uh, uh, and Finding Neverland, the one about Peter Pan, yes. Kinsey is the movie about the famous sex researcher, the guy who startled the world in the 1950s when he told us what we really did in the bedroom. <laughs> Liam Neeson is terrific as Kinsey. He's a man with a cause, a difficult guy, but you will remember Liam Neeson as a Schindler in Schindler's List. Hopefully, this movie will uh, enlighten some of the puritanical people who don't seem to be able to deal with human sexuality, you know. Um, after half a century, the fear or dread of homosexuality still seems to be boiling everywhere. And then, of course, along with the Puritans, we now have overt prurience, um, the sort that would shock, I think, Kinsey if he were alive today. Uh, prurience is certainly the flip side of our Puritan heritage. You know, that pornographic mindset uh, puts sex in the marketplace, makes it a commodity. Uh, you know, it's something to be had, something that can be bought or sold. Um, meat on the hook. Sensuality itself has uh, become almost, what is it, the word, uh, not, not dehumanized, but... Uh, I think of it as the sort of people who prefer the perfume to the flesh itself. You know, they'd, they'd rather buy the clothes. Anyway, I first read the Kinsey Report when I was uh, 15 years old. I was babysitting for this doctor in Laguna Beach. And uh, <laughs> I, I was absolutely riveted to it. I was madly reading when uh, the doctor and his wife came home at midnight. And I hadn't even checked on the baby. She was furious. I was never asked back. Anyway, Kinsey's first volume is all about human, uh, the human male. Uh, that fascinated me, but the volume about the human female seems a bit dated these days. Um, Kinsey got some of it wrong, I think, but he did get it. That's the point. Uh, as the poet William Blake wrote... Uh, Oh, long, long time ago in the 18th century, William Blake wrote that what we, that is what men and women, need from one another uh, is quite simple, yes. Uh, what each one of us wants from the other is gratified desire. You'd think that's a no-brainer, right? Uh, it brings me to the movie Peter Pan, uh, there was very little gratified desire for the author of Peter Pan, James M. Barry. This new movie is called Finding Neverland, and it's a sort of biography. Not, not, uh, well, it's, it's, uh, of course, it takes tremendous license. Johnny Depp is far too handsome to play James Barry. Uh, but Kate Winslet seems to me the perfect Victorian woman. Uh, if you are an Anglophile, you might want to check out another film, uh, 1978 BBC drama. You can get it on DVD called James M. Barry and the Lost Boys. 
Ian Helm plays James Berry, uh, the author of Peter Pan. It's more than four hours. I think maybe Cable will bring it back now that this new movie, Finding Neverland, has arrived for the holidays. This is the perfect uh, holiday movie. The New Yorker calls it a weepy, but they said it's hard to find a good weepy these days. Peter Pan created a new myth, at least for me. Uh, let's see. Uh, I still have my original book, the one with the illustrations by Arthur Rackham. I love it. Uh, I tried to bring it to the Holiday Crafts Fair this year. Let's see. Let me read you just a, uh, a line or two from Anthony Lane in The New Yorker. He writes, Do people still read Peter Pan? Or has Peter shrunk to a brand by now? A chirping Disney figure wrenched from the unsettling landscapes where he originally appeared. Anyway, he goes on to explain why uh, Peter demands restitution for he sprang from the mind of an oddball. <laughs> and he mentions the other oddballs, the great dreamers of English children's literature. Uh, he says they were not dreamy types at all. They were even pedantic in dramatizing their, un, their fathomless unhappiness. If their characters are pricked by a helpless urge to travel, remember Peter's line, he said, uh, he said, second star to the right and straight on till morning. Yes, it's because there's always something, a drab existence, a dreadful past, something that begs to be fled. Then he says, open a page of Harry Potter by contrast. And you know, it was written by a clever, funny woman of sound mind with a keen commercial eye and a berry-like love of the fizzing narratives for which children naturally thirst. But there is nothing smarting beneath, no ominous beat of the heart-sick. Harry will grow up, and we think it only proper that he should. But will he continue to taunt and haunt us a hundred years from now, like the boy who never did? Yes, Peter Pan, the boy who never grew up. I hope to have time to talk about that movie, this movie some more, because Peter Pan is one of the major myths of my childhood, and I'm horrified by what Disney has uh, done to this story. Um, it is true that we live in a new age, and uh, books for children that are based on horrific psychological wounds are probably not... <laughs> Not politically correct just now. Anyway, I'm going to be um, off the air this Thursday because uh, we're having a special uh, at Alcatraz. Uh, I will be at the KPFA Holiday Crafts and Music Fair, and I hope to see many of you there. It's over in um, San Francisco at the Concourse Exhibition Center. I have books for sale. I have four titles. I have a movie book, a memoir, um, a collection of prose fictions, and then a collection of essays about women and literature. It's a 10-year, it's a book about um, just about everything. It's a collection of uh, disparate essays that spread over 10 years. Uh, anyway, I will be there just past the ticket tables on the first floor at the base of the stairs the stairs lead up to the second floor i'm right there on your left uh i want to thank the kpfa listeners who've written to me i really appreciate all your letters and all these articles uh 
you send me all this information to fill me in on what's going down. I keep telling myself that all the information is out there for everyone to read, but too many people just don't take time to find it. KPFA listeners don't uh, don't miss much. But for the rest of them, I'm afraid we can, well, the establishment can fool too many of the people too much of the time. We're up against a mountain of sincere ignorance and conscientious stupidity from those who are in the TV trance, those who buy the BS from the Bush boys. So get out there and make changes, people. Once again, that KPFA Holiday Crafts Fair uh, is in San Francisco Saturday and Sunday, December 11th and 12th from 10 to 6. It's at 8th and Brannan Streets. And there's, you know, performances all day. Emmett Powell and the Gospel Elite, Stephen Kent, Avacha. Oh, list of a whole page of folks. And I will be there both days. And uh, I hope to see you there. We'll have a coffee. And uh, talk a little treason. This has been Jennifer Stone. Till next Tuesday, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. So divide us. Take a ride through the world of reggae music aboard the Reggae Express. Tuesday evenings from 10 p.m. till midnight on 94.1 FM KPFA. Join DJs Ivier and Spliff Skankin for a showcase of all styles of reggae music from all over the world. One, two, three.